Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. You guys have a happy Thanksgiving? Are you still recovering from the turkey hangover and all the good treats? We, uh, we had uh, just a blowout of desserts at, at our uh, place. Uh, my mother-in-law always makes, I think, like 100 minimum desserts. But uh, my uh, wife's birthday is uh, midway through the month of November, uh, November 14th. And this year, my daughters, uh, just before the the birthday, we're kind of arguing about who was the better baker. And so we decided to do a bake-off to decide and let my wife choose uh, who was the better baker in the house. And so both of them made a 9 by 13 pumpkin tort with their own flair on it. And uh, uh, Jocelyn did win. It was devastating to London, who, you know, wants to be a professional baker when she grows up. But, uh, but needless to say, we had enough left over to freeze a whole one. So we, we had that to get out during the, uh, the holiday celebration as well. And so we were, we were not um, just uh, absent of good things to eat. And so we, we're appreciative of that. Um, but it always reminds me of all the blessings that we have. It's just to remember people that are struggling and those, uh, especially overseas. If you, if you don't think about it, America is the only nation that celebrates Thanksgiving. Because it has to do with the founding of our nation and how God provided supernaturally for those pilgrims uh, when they first came. You know, if you get through all the political junk that seems to be going around these days and go to the actual story and the journals that were left by those early pilgrims, if God had not intervened, they wouldn't have survived. And so it's a way to thank God for that first winter, providing the needs, and then we carry that tradition on, thanking God for his blessings every day. And there are just a, a couple of... Uh, people to be, that I want to put before you to be praying for. One is a Danish pastor. Uh, I can't pronounce his name very well. I think his first name is Torvid or Torvid, um, but um, uh, he came from Denmark to America because his ministry was beginning to be persecuted by the government there, and so he's been in the United States for about four years. Well, he applied for asylum and for a visa and while he's waiting for his asylum hearing, his visa expired. The FBI has him arrested and is being held in detention. Um, with, with, and they originally arrested him on suspicion of, of smuggling guns. And he doesn't own any weapons, doesn't know anybody in Mexico. And he's now been held, I think he's going on nearly a year in jail in Florida somewhere. Um, without formal charges being pressed simply because of uh, issue with his visa. And, and I believe it really has to do with the fact that he's a missionary, a minister of the gospel, and uh, the, our government's colluding with the Denmark government in order to uh, mess with this guy. So we need to be praying for him. Uh, there is a website where you can find out updated information, and, and I'll maybe post something to our Facebook about that in the coming days. Uh, but also, um, I continue to have correspondence with uh, some uh, friends from Kenya, new friends from Kenya, um, Eric Wakoli and, and a few others that have reached out over the last year or so. And uh, right now, Kenya is under one of the most severe droughts 
that they've had in history. And Eric's uh, messaging to me is that they're watching the animals literally in the pasture die from heat and starvation, a lack of water. Uh, they're praying dearly um, every day for God to send the rain so that they can have crops and food. And, and, uh, and so we want to partner with them in prayer. So be praying for the people of Kenya. Pray that God, our supernatural God, who's Lord over the skies, speaks a word and, and sends the rain, the rain that they desperately need. So we can't, we can't lose sight of what, what's happening around us just because of maybe the goodness that we're experiencing. Because there are still people all over the world that, that don't have uh, the same experience that we do. Um, so again, for those of you that are new, my name is Pastor Joey. We are in week four of our holiday series we're calling Family Matters. And uh, we've now transitioned from fall to full-on Christmas. And uh, so uh, as soon as December hits... I'm going to maybe start breaking out some of my festive memorabilia, festive wear. I've uh, been made aware of a couple of stores that have some off-the-chain ugly Christmas sweaters. I may or may not be uh, going to hunt down and uh, be a walking snow globe. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but uh, pray for me because I get a little crazy. But uh, this week... Uh, we are, again, in week four, we have, we began this series talking about really what I think is on God's heart for his church, uh, living out of a place of rest, talking about calendar chaos, how this can be a, kind of a crazy time of year if you don't prioritize God first and, and set your life in a way that God has designed. We can obviously and overwhelmingly get overwhelmed with just everything going on in our lives and the extra burdens that the holiday seems to bring. Then we talked about that one relative that always gets under our skin. And maybe you have more than one. Maybe you're blessed to have a plethora of relatives that get under your skin. But how Jesus dealt with difficult people and how if we pattern our lives after the way Christ lived, we can transform the dynamic in our family. Last week we talked about generosity and God's heart for crazy generosity. And often in the holiday season, we have so many different people trying to reach into our pocketbooks. And we can kind of feel like, man, do, do I got to give again? Do I, do I have to do this? Is this something I have to do? And when we look at God's heart, how God is a God of generosity, we realize we don't got to give. We get to give. We get to be a part of the blessing that God pours out in people's lives. And today, it's kind of a, a piggybacking on that same thread is we're talking about not just doing good, but doing real good. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, do real good. We're going to do some real good. How many of you know there's a difference between doing good and doing real good? There's a difference. Reminds me of the, the story where Jesus is walking along and, and this guy comes up to him and he refers to him as good teacher. And he says, I've kept all these commandments from birth. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus has an interesting response. He says, why do you call me good? For there's no one good but God. You see, our perception of what is good and God's perception of what is good are two totally different things. And there is a fine line, oftentimes, between what we believe is good and what God believes is good. That's why the Bible says the Word of God is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, that it can divide between the thinnest of lines, like between the soul and the spirit. 
And we go to God's word, not, not to be religious, but to find out God's heart, to find out the truth. So if we remain in the truth, we can be set free from stinking thinking and things that bind us down and get us distracted. And so we're going to look at real good because the holiday season, it doesn't just promote charitable giving, but it also promotes acts of service. Like, like serving and doing good, volunteering. Often people will go, they'll go volunteer, they'll, they'll serve at a soup kitchen for the holidays during Christmas time, and they'll, they'll get involved in volunteer service. And those are all good things. Um, a psychologist um, wrote an article on kpbs.org a few years ago uh, talking about how the holiday season is really infused with like this idea of charity and, and goodwill. And here the article says the charitable giving season is in full swing and people are opening up their wallets more so than in past years. Give, giving Tuesday is a social media campaign that encourages people to give after Cyber Monday. So we don't just have Black Friday now. We have Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday. So if you didn't already break the bank getting groceries for Thanksgiving, you're now going into debt for Black Friday sales and going into slavery for the charitable giving on Tuesday. Right? You're selling your soul. to. So, like, we have all of these ploys and pulls. But uh, this year, the previous year, generated $45.7 million for that Cyber Monday. And, uh, and again, in increasing giving on the Charitable Tuesday. The number was almost 240% increase compared to the years before. So giving continues to rise. And here he asked the question, what motivates donors to give? Well, a San Diego psychologist said some people give during the holidays for emotional reasons. James, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but Wyant, a professor of psychology at the University of San Diego, told KPBS Midday Edition on Wednesday that people aren't making rational decisions when making donations to charities. It's an emotional kind of thing, Wyant said. He says, I think a lot of the motivation is empathy. If you can really understand the other person and feel the more positive reaction, then you're more likely to give. So Wayant recommended asking yourself a few questions before making a donation. One, what kind of problems do you want to solve and what affects you more? And then he used a panhandler as an example of when someone may give based on emotions. He says, if you're walking down the street and a panhandler is asking you for money, it's kind of hard to say no. There's that kind of emotional thing like, here's this person in front of me. When people feel guilty, now listen to what he says. He says, when people feel guilty about something, one of the things they do about it is they be more generous. Wyant said donors also enjoy the positive image that can come with giving. Getting your name on a list of donors means something to people, he said. Acknowledging donations in a public way could be the reason why Giving Tuesday was successful. People are much more likely to give in a public circumstance than a private one, Wyant said. So here he's saying, he said, giving is often done as an emotional response. And the two greatest factors, the reason why people give, are out of guilt or to be seen. And the things they give, and the act of giving is a good thing, right? There, there's a, a social media star that, that has made a name for himself uh, on, on giving. 
It's, it's pretty incredible. His name is Mr. Beast. I think we have a picture of Mr. Beast we'll put on the screen for you. You got some Mr. Beast fans back there, some YouTube stars, yep, just a few. You know how Mr. Beast got famous? He started off playing video games on TV. Now, why anyone wants to watch someone else play video games rather than play the video games is beyond me. But that seems to be very popular with the kids these days, is watching someone else play the game. But he started making money online, and he started giving away thousands and millions of dollars online. Uh, my kids told me this past Halloween, he was giving away iPhones and wads of cash to trick-or-treaters on Halloween. And he videotapes these things, and he becomes an international star. He's one of the highest-paid YouTubers in history because he's known for giving away money. I think they were watching a show one time, and he had purchased a chocolate factory, and he was having some friends do a competition, and the winner of the competition got to win the chocolate factory. Like, why? You know, it's just, but just because. So, so it's, it's crazy, you know, how, like, we give, and this giving in public is a popular thing. And often that giving is a result of empathy. Empathy is the ability to feel what other people are feeling. When you have a connection to maybe what's going on, when stories and issues tug on the heartstrings, we are more likely to give. However, just because something hits us emotionally doesn't qualify this cause as better than any other cause. You know, if you think about all the ways people ask you to give, to donate, the different opportunities you have, every, every time you, again, we talked about this last week, walk through the checkout line, every register during the holidays has some cause for you to donate to. Even the fast food restaurants have a cause for you to donate to, round up your change, add an extra dollar, you know, whatever, whatever they're asking you to do. One cause, just because it hits us emotionally, doesn't qualify it as being more important or more worthy. If we are being generous simply by how something is affecting us emotionally, then is it really as good of an act as we think it is? Right? See, Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 30, he says this. He says, give to, what's that say? Anyone who asks. He doesn't qualify who you give to. He says, give to anyone who asks. And then he says, when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. So if you think about what Jesus is saying, what do we do whenever we think about donating to a cause? First, we start to qualify the cause. Is it, does this support, you know, my, my political view? Does this support, you know, this? Is this person going to actually use the money for the reason why they're asking for the money? Like, is this person begging on the side of the road actually hungry? Or is this their full-time job and they get to get paid 60000 plus a year tax-free? Right? We begin to qualify our donations or what we're going to donate to. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, give to anyone who asks. And if someone robs you, if someone takes advantage of you, don't try to get your stuff back. That's a tough one. I mean, because when I'm taken advantage of, what do I want? I want justice. I want my stuff back. I get ticked when McDonald's doesn't make my meal right. I paid for a sandwich with no onions. I don't care if there's three little onions on there. You're going to remake my sandwich, you know? 
Like, like we get flustered just even about insignificant things. But here he says, don't try to get your stuff back. Even though it's a natural response. Why? Because that's how the Lord is good to us. You realize the Bible says he makes it rain on the just and the unjust alike. His goodness is given toward everyone. There, there, there's no qualification. Why? Because he's just good. People are more likely to give who give in public, like Mr. Beast. He gives more away. He has more followers, more notoriety than anyone else on YouTube. There are also other shows that have been popular in the past, like Extreme Home Makeover. That, that's, you're going to go through a half a box of Kleenex easy on Extreme Home Makeover. You take this needy family who's got this impactful story. They send them away for a week. They bulldoze their house, build them a dream house they can't afford the taxes on, and then they give it to them for free. And it's awesome, like, when the, they say, move that truck, and the truck moves, and everyone's freaking out. And it's like, oh, man, it's so cool. Oh, so cool. And they get the ratings. It's a popular show. And it, it's inspiring, and it inspires us to be more generous. And these are good things, and it keeps people turning in week after week. But are they really that good? Not only are we drawn to be more generous in public, but we're drawn to those displays of public generosity. And I think the reason why, especially around the holidays, that generosity and acts of good and, and, and good deeds are popular at this time of year is because that's really what we see in Jesus Christ. No matter how much we try to get away from it, Jesus and his life continue to inspire the world over year after year after year. I don't care how much Christ you want to get out of Christmas. He's the reason for the season, and he continues to inspire. In Acts chapter 10, 38, this is what it says about the Lord. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, and he went about doing what? Doing good. And what did he do? He healed all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. A marker of Jesus' ministry of his life was doing good, lifting burdens, healing hearts and lives. And that example continues to influence us today. Paul told the, the church in the church of Galatia, in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, as he's encouraging us to follow the pattern of Christ, he says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. But at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good. Somebody say good. Don't get tired of doing good. Keep it up. Why? Because doing good is hard. Doing real good is tough. Staying consistent and doing good requires more of you than, than just slipping a couple dollars of change in, in a bucket at a, at a register. Doing good is difficult to stay at, but he says when we do it. When we stay faithful, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to who? To everyone, but especially your brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. John, in his letter, we don't have it here, but in his letter, he says, if you see a brother or sister in Christ in need, if you have enough to live well and you see them in need and you don't help them in that need, how can you say the love of God is in you? Right there, we should do good to everyone, but especially our brothers and sisters, especially our family, because family matters. 
So doing good is part of who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's who Jesus was. And God promises to bless us when we do good. And we can do good in a couple ways. We can give, uh, we can, in a big way is giving, giving financially, supporting people in need, giving sacrificially. But another way is serving. But again, what if I told you that acts of goodwill, like Mr. Beast giving away of millions of dollars, or the extreme home makeover, or these public displays, or even in our own personal lives, those, those good acts that we do when we are feeling guilty or, or when our name is going to be put on a placard because we gave to such and such thing. What if I told you that those good acts weren't really that good? The Word of God cuts between the thin line. See, I really believe it boils down to your motivation. Why is it that we respond more to an act of public notoriety or an act of guilt? Why do we give more in public than we would in private? I believe it boils down to really the heart of the matter, which is that we're all really just self-centered. We don't want to be thought of in a negative way. That's why we give out of guilt. Or we want to be seen in a positive light so we participate in the public display. But therefore, the giving is not really about the cause or the need or the person. The giving becomes about who? Us. The way we feel about ourselves or the way we want to be seen, which ultimately makes it about our pride. In Matthew 6.1 Jesus says, watch out, don't do your, somebody say, good deeds. Don't do your good deeds. Oh, what did he just say? Don't do them publicly. Or to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Our God is constantly showering out rewards. There's a treasure in heaven awaiting the bride, the faithful. But here he's saying, the reward that I plan for you, for the good deeds you do, you will lose it, depending on your motivation. Now, you might say Jesus did a lot of things in public, didn't he? Didn't Jesus do a lot of public miracles? He healed the whole towns. How do you not do public miracles and good deeds in public, right? If, if people can see it. Like, like, what is the deal? And he often did. But you know what he did every time he healed somebody? Don't tell anyone. What do you mean? I've been blind for 30 years. How do you expect me to keep this quiet? Don't tell anyone. He did not seek his own fame or his own notoriety. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of God, and God will lift you up in honor. He humbled himself. Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, don't do your good deeds in public, for the main reason we're motivated to do good should not be to be seen or out of guilt, to be admired by others, or we'll lose our reward. But he does say in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 6, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in what? In private. 
and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Do you realize that God sees it all? You can't hide from God. If I were to go down into the depths, you are there. If I were to ascend to the heights, you are there. There's nowhere I can get away from your presence, nowhere I can escape your gaze. God sees everything. You can't, that secret thing you're doing in private, you think you're getting away with, you're not. God sees. And those good deeds you do that no one notices, God sees. When you picked up the trash in the hallway that wasn't your trash, but you realized it needed to be picked up, God saw that. When you helped the old lady across the street, or, or when you helped them lift a heavy uh, bag into their car, when you did things that, that no one was going to ever notice or pay attention to, God saw it, and he prepared a reward for it. When you pray, verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corner in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they will ever get. In other words, keep it discreet. Keep it under wraps and on the down low so that the only one you're performing for is God and God alone. That the glory goes to Jesus in you as Jesus blesses others through you. And what I love about what he just said there, he said, if you do this to be seen, if you do it to be admired, that's your reward. The praise you get from others, that's all the reward you're ever going to get. Philippians 2.3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. When we do good to try to impress other people, that applause is our reward. Man, that's a tough one. There's no reward for that type of good in heaven because we're serving ourselves. So what does real good look like? What does real good look like? Real good is self-sacrificing, not self-promoting. Real good costs you something, doesn't guarantee you something. I think of David in the Old Testament as he wants to build a temple for God, and he's getting everything ready, and he decides to buy the threshing floor so it can be the future site of the temple, and he goes to the owner of the threshing floor, and he says, I, I want to build the temple here, and so how much do you want for it? And the guy says, for you, king, anything. You can have it. It's yours. And David says something very important. He says, no. I won't offer the Lord anything that hasn't cost me something. And so he paid for it when he could have had it for free. What does real good look like? It looks like something that costs you something. Matthew 5.40 says if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give him your coat too. But I like my coat. I got it on sale on Black Friday. I was waiting for it to go down 50% so I could buy the thing. Give it to him. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it too. That, that phrase, go the extra mile, this is where it comes from. In ancient Israel, the Romans used to make the Israelites, who they were enslaving, subjugating, 
carry their equipment. Even criminals had to carry their cross. And so often, as they got tired of carrying their own stuff, they'd make a random person on the side of the road carry their stuff for, for a period of time. And Jesus said, if they tell you to carry it one, go two. One is your obligation. The extra mile is your sacrifice. Jesus is telling us, don't give, don't serve to be seen, and don't be served in response, or give to be served in response. And I think we skip over this, and I know, especially in this life, anything that hits me in my chest where it like causes me to wrestle with the Lord a bit, I think we skip over these things that apply to us in a personal way. And this especially, this verse has been something I've thought about and marinated on for for years, especially around the holidays, because I think about it every holiday season in Luke 14, 12 through 14, Jesus says something very profound. He says, as he's turning to a host of a party, he says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Who do we invite in, during the holiday season, to gather around tables, friends, and family. Every time. Matter of fact, we so center our holiday experience around our gatherings with our family that everything else takes like a second seat to that. I mean, we, the eight years we've been around, have had a challenge on figuring out when we're going to celebrate Christmas, when we're going to do our Christmas service, because on Christmas Eve, many people have Christmas Eve get-togethers. Well, we can't have service on Christmas Eve, and when Christmas is on Sunday, which is it is this year, well, people have family stuff that they're doing, and so it makes a challenge to do Christmas on Sunday. Like, we, we subjugate everything to our family get-togethers, but here Jesus says, when you throw a banquet, don't invite your family. Why? Because they'll invite you back. And that will be your only reward. You're telling me all the slaving in the kitchen, all the cleaning, putting up with the kids, the noise, the dirt, the mess, the exhaustion, all of that, the only reward I get is when I'm invited to their house? Yep. Why? Because you're doing it because of the benefit that it gives you. The benefit of love in return. But what about those who can't do that? Verse 13, it says, Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. marinate in that. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have family gatherings. Jesus is asking you to check your heart and what we think is good and what is really good. 
Is it a sacrifice to slave for your family? Yeah. But what's a bigger sacrifice? Slaving for people that will never be able to do you the same in return. The definition of God's love, agape love, is sacrificing without any expectation of return. And what do we see in God Almighty? We see the Father in heaven looking at a sinful world who loved us and sent his only son to be the sacrifice for sin while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting him. There was no guarantee that any of us would turn to him. Romans, Paul tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one's even seeking after God. So even though God in his infinite wisdom knew who would turn, he knew who would turn. He knows all things. He put the will of man, the free will of man, in place that we are the only creation that can say no to God. And there is an infinite number of souls, year after year, that die and go on without Christ who have turned their backs on God, and he still loved them and gave his life for them anyway. The sacrifice of Christ was such that there was no guarantee of a return. Jesus is saying, if all the sacrifice we're making is on that which brings us return, then it's a wasted effort because you're only loving those who are easy to love and those who will love you back. But real good takes real sacrifice. And there's no greater love than this. Didn't Jesus say that? There's no greater love than that a man would lay his life down for his friends. That you would give up everything. So if you want reward in heaven, if you want your sacrifice to matter, if you want your good deeds to count, Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, He'll give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. Real good is done when the only one in the sights of, of the target is God Almighty, when we do it for an audience of one. When God is the only audience we are seeking to please, we are seeking to honor, reward in heaven comes to those who seek to glorify God and get what he offers, not the glory that man offers. Man's glory is self-seeking. God's glory is self-sacrificing. It's not about us. It's about the one we serve. Romans 12.9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Man, that one gets me. We do a really good job at pretending. When we walk in on Sunday, can we get real? Can we, can we do that? When you come in here on Sunday morning and you ask somebody, how are you doing? If they give you any other response other than good, are you really interested? Or are you just pretending? Oh, yeah, I got, I got 30 seconds. Just lay it on me. We do a good job at pretending. That's why there's that phrase that's called being two-faced. We all have two faces. We have the one we show people, and then we have the real one. Right? He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. What is good? What is good is what sacrifices the self. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Sacrifice self to serve 
others. This is God's heart for his people. This is the love that his people are intended to demonstrate that his self-sacrificing love would flow through us. And the reward for that type of love will not just matter here in this life, but will echo for all eternity. The day you stand before the Lord and you receive your reward, the day he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you'll be rewarded for every sacrifice, every bit of real good. And what I love about this next passage of Scripture is the reality of what our doing good, our gifts in private, our, our undercover goodwill is really accomplishing. In Matthew 25, 36 through 40, Jesus is talking about the last day when we stand before him, and he separates the righteous from the unrighteous. And he says to the righteous in verse 36, he says, I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. He's saying, when you got over yourself, when you sacrifice not for your own notoriety, but for my glory, when you served those who couldn't serve you back, when you gave to those who couldn't give back to you, when you saw those that were suffering, that were insignificant compared to the world standard, that had less than you, that were in need, and that you could do and be a blessing to, and you made a sacrifice to meet that need, you weren't serving them, you were serving me. It was my feet you washed. It was my back you clothed. It was my thirst you quenched. It was my cell door you opened. It was me. And that's where the reward comes. Because it's even not about the person you're sacrificing for. It's for the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. How awesome it is to get to glory and see how Jesus has a record of all of our sacrifices. So when he says, don't give in, don't give up, don't grow weary in doing good, real good, it's because he's keeping the record and he's preparing the reward so that the harvest of blessing, when it comes, it's going to be overwhelming. But if we're living for the good, for the notoriety, when we're just operating out of guilt all the reward we get is what we receive here on the earth. And I think about how sad, how wasteful many of these opportunities are. If you think about the warriors of the past, I think of some of the soldiers and military people that have made major sacrifices. And they have won medals and awards and the Medal of Honor. And in their families' homes, you maybe have their medals in a glass case and and you have their service record, even if they've gone on and they passed on from this life. In a matter of a couple generations, their sacrifice will be forgotten. They may have a stone at Arlington, but who's going to remember that they're there? Do you remember who won the Academy Award for Best Actor last year? I don't even remember when the Academy Awards were on. 
the accolades and the accomplishments in this life mean nothing compared to eternity. But there's one in heaven who has the record, who knows all and never forgets. There's one in heaven who's ready to reward and ready to bless when his people open their hearts, not just to do good, but to do real good. And I'm excited to see how when God's people get a heart for real good, how it begins to really change the world. And so I want to challenge you with a, an initiative. I don't expect this to go crazy or to get us a bunch of followers on Facebook or on social media. So this is just for us. But if it catches on, great. It's called Operation Do Good. Operation Do Good. And so here's the challenge. That we begin in this holiday season, but that it continues on. Now, not just for this Christmas season, but it's something that continues on. And the only one that can guarantee that it continues on is you. Because no one else is going to even know what you're doing. So Operation Do Good, I'm challenging you to become a secret drive-by do-gooder. A secret drive-by do-gooder. I'm challenging you to find people to do acts of love and good works, service, sacrifice, giving, and to do it secretly and anonymously so that the only one that knows you're doing it is God. If you're married, this might be a little bit of a challenge because... You can't just spend whatever you want and, and, you know, go wherever you want to go. You might have to have some communication. But for single people and for married couples, this is the challenge. You're going to pick somebody according to the Pippi method. It's only Pippi because those are the letters of the words. But it's the Pippi method. First, you need to pray and ask God, God, who? Who's in my life? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to bless? And let him lead you in this process. Because if God's leading you, he'll take care of all the details. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what? Everything you need will be added unto you. So God doesn't pay for what he doesn't order. But he pays for everything he orders. So if God's leading you, you don't got to worry about it. Ask God who. Then investigate the person's needs. Find out undercover. Right? Don't go have a conversation. Be like, hey, don't tell anyone, but I picked you. No, don't tell them. This is completely sacrificial. This is completely under the radar, right? No one but God knows. If you have a problem, tell God about it. You should be praying to him anyway. Amen? Research. Find out. Ask subtle questions. Hey, what's going on in your life? Find out how you can make a difference, how you can do something to bless them. And then plan your blessing. Remember in calendar chaos, we talked about if you don't plan to do it, it won't happen. Put it on the calendar. Set a goal. By such and such date, this is going to happen. Plan to do it. And then lastly, implement your plan. Do your anonymous drive-by blessing. And that might be a wad of cash on the doorstep right before they get home. That, that might be uh, something fixed in their yard. You know, they don't know who's doing it. 
whatever the case is, but it's a secret drive-by blessing. And the reason why we're challenging you to do this is because it's not really for that person. It's for Jesus. When you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees will reward you. This is to please the Father. And the more we sow, beloved, the more we will reap. The more we give, the more we will receive. Why? Because you can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him. And we want to make God's eyes well up by the brightness of the good deeds of the saints. And so don't just do good this holiday season, beloved. Do real good. Do real good. And God is going to do real good in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for this challenge. And God, I know just in my own life how I struggle. I'm challenged. My motivations are on open display. But God, you're so gracious, loving, kind, and faithful. Your patience is beyond comprehension. And I know, God, that you're patient with us. You're gracious and you're kind. But I pray, God, that we would capture this vision, that we wouldn't feel like we're a good person because of these things that we do according to the world's standards, Lord, but we would look at ourselves through the lens of the gospel, that we would look at Jesus as the inspiration of our lives every day, and that we would pattern ourselves after him as we don't just seek to do good, but we seek to do real good, that we'd be known as a people who sacrifice, who love, who serve for the audience of one, the King of glory. So God, may what you do in our hearts today become a chain reaction, that every seed that we sow, every person we bless, God, that they would see your hand in it. If they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God, they would find and encounter him through it, and that you'd begin a chain reaction in this community that would go throughout this state, through this nation, and that Operation Do Good, God, would become a, a wave of undercover, drive-by do-gooders that are transforming the world through what you're doing, through your love being released in your church. And God, we just ask you to now fill us, make us bold, and help us to experience the same joy and excitement you do when you bless as we become undercover do-gooders. God, I pray for the needs and the people here in this room today, Lord, that if anyone here is struggling, everyone, anyone here is, is under a spirit of heaviness, God, as our prophetic team comes and ministers, Lord, that you would speak, that you would release your goodness, that your love would overwhelm and overcome, and that you'd set us free. God, we thank you for what you're about to do and what we're about to experience as we continue to worship you in obedience in Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.